wisdom and clarity of mind to be able to preach your word. And Father, I pray that you would please uh, just help us to be able to study this together tonight, to be able to understand it, and that we might be uh, ministered unto by your word. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Alright, well if you remember last week, uh, we were in Isaiah chapter 15, and Isaiah chapter 15 and verse 16 are, are kind of a dual, dual chapters, they, they work together in regards to uh, Moab and the judgment of Moab. If you look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, the burden of Moab, and we talked about Moab being judged by God, and last week we talked about how Moab was started, and uh, their foundation, and kind of a little bit of the history that they had with Israel. In chapter 16, we continue uh, the idea of, of Moab and the burden of Moab and the judgment of God of Moab and the, the chapter is kind of divided into two sections and uh, just so you kind of understand, on Sunday mornings we preach uh, sermons and, and don't take this the wrong way because they're all, they're all the same, but on Sunday mornings we kind of preach for life change we try to preach very practical things that you can uh, do in, in your life or in your marriage or with your children or, or just uh, doctrines that you need to be aware of to be able to help you grow. Sunday nights and Wednesday nights is more of a study of scripture, studying the text verse by verse, going through, or chapter by chapter, uh, for example, like we are in Isaiah. So, uh, if you're taking notes tonight, and, I, and I, I would encourage you to take notes as we've been going through the book of Isaiah, so you can understand it. I, I want you to understand <coughs> this about Isaiah 16. It's divided into two parts, which are, it's it's the prophet, Isaiah, dealing with the Moabites and the children of Israel. The first part of the chapter uh, is what we would consider the prophet's counsel, or what I would call the prophet's counsel, for those of you that are taking notes. And if you look at verse uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 16, and look at verse 1, it says, Send ye the Lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness unto the mount of the daughter of Zion. And what Isaiah is doing is he's beginning to give counsel or advice. He's trying to tell Moab what they are to do. Because you've got to remember, Moab is right now, during the, they're, they're being judged by God. And, and the application for us today is that many people, from time to time, fall under the judgment of God. Where God begins to deal with them, where God begins to punish them, where God begins to kind of reckon with them for their sin. And often Oftentimes, you and I, we're going to see people going through the judgment of God, and we'll have an opportunity to minister to them in the same way that Isaiah is uh, getting to minister to uh, the, the children of, Israel, of Moab here. And he begins to give them counsel, and he says, send you the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah. Now, first of all, what does that mean? Why is he telling them to send the lamb? And here's, here's what you got to understand about Selah, and the reference to Selah. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 16, because that's our, our passage for tonight. Go to Joshua chapter 15, uh, towards the beginning of the Old Testament, Joshua, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then you got the book of Joshua, Joshua 15, and look at verse 21, Joshua 15 and verse 21, like I said, this was, this is more of a Bible, it's going to be more of a Bible study tonight, so it'd be a good uh, sermon to take notes in. If you remember in the book of Joshua, we have Joshua dividing up the land of the children of Israel, uh, they, have came, they, they came into Canaan, they've conquered the land, and they're dividing it into, into the different tribes. And in Joshua chapter 15, and verse 21, notice what the Bible says. It says, and the uttermost cities, now, the uttermost cities means they're the border cities, or the, the, 
the cities that are the furthest away. He says, and the uttermost cities of the tribe of the children of Judah, this in, in Isaiah, we're looking at the tribe of Judah, who has now become the southern kingdom. During the time of Joshua, it was just one of the tribes. But if you remember, after the reign of Saul and David and Solomon, the, 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 the kingdom was divided into the southern uh, nation of, of Judah and the northern uh, nation of Israel. So, he's talking to the tribe of Judah, but in Isaiah, Isaiah is preaching to the southern kingdom, which is the tribe of Judah. And in Joshua 15.21, he says... And the uttermost cities of the tribe of the children of Judah, toward the coast of Edom, southward were Capsiel, Eder, and uh, Jagger. And he gives them a list of all the cities that he's giving uh, the, the children of Judah. Skip down to verse 38, and notice what he says in verse 38. And Dillian, and Mizpeh, and Jockfield. Make note of that uh, name there, Jockfield. So, Joshua gave Jockfield to... Judah, the tribe of Judah. Go to 2 Kings chapter 14. 2 Kings chapter 14. And look at verse number 7. 2 Kings chapter 14. And verse number 7. Remember this morning we were talking about uh, Joash and all those things. We're kind of going back into that time frame. King Amaziah of Judah. Remember he was uh, killed and uh, we looked at all his crazy family there. Um, 2 Kings 14, look at verse 7. 2 Kings 14 and verse 7. He slew of Edom in the valley of Saul 10,000 and took Selah by war. So he took, King Amaziah took this, this city back from the king of Edom, which was called Selah. He took Selah by war and, notice, called the name of it Jock Field. You see that? Unto this day. So here's what I want you to understand. God, through Joshua, gave the tribe of Judah a city called Jachfield. Now, if you remember the context, it was one of the uttermost cities. It was on the border with Edom. From Joshua to 2 Kings 14, the Edomites had taken possession of that city named Jachfield, and they had renamed it Selah. In 2 Kings 14.7, King Amaziah comes along, and he goes to war with the Edomites, gets back that city which is now named Selah, and he renames it Jachthiel. So, Selah and Jachthiel are both referring to a city in the tribe of Judah, or in that southern kingdom of Israel. So, if you go back to Isaiah 16.1, the advice and the counsel that Isaiah is giving the Moabites who are running for their lives from the Babylons, who have, remember, in one night the Babylons came in and took over and, and destroyed them. The advice that Isaiah gives, he says, send ye the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah, from Selah, to the wilderness, notice, unto the mounts of the daughter of Zion. Zion is a reference to that, that God's people and, and, the, and the children of Israel there. And what Isaiah is telling the Moabites is to send a lamb to Judah. To send a lamb to the king and the rulers of that southern kingdom of Israel, of that tribe of Judah. Now, you may be asking this question, yourself this question, why would he tell them to send a lamb? Go, go back to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings, you were just there. I, I meant to tell you to keep your finger there, I apologize. 2 Kings chapter 3. Why would Isaiah tell the Moabites to send a lamb to Judah, to Selah, to Zion, when they are going through the judgment in Babylon. 2 Kings chapter number 3, look at verse 4. 2 Kings chapter number 3, and verse 4. 
Notice what the Bible says. And Misha, king of Moab. Do you see that? And Misha, king of Moab, that's who we're talking about, the Moabites, was a sheep master and rendered, the word rendered means he provided or to provide or to give, and rendered unto the king of Israel an hundred thousand lambs. Do you see that? And an hundred thousand rams with the wool. So, the king of Moab at one time was under the authority of Judah. And at one time, he rendered, and he gave, and he paid, and he gave in tribute to Judah and to the kings of Israel. They would render to them, he was a sheep master, so he rendered lambs and rams. In verse 5 it says, But it came to pass, when Ahab was dead, that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So, the king of Moab, at one point, had a relationship with the God with, with, with the God of Judah, had a relationship with the people of Israel, had a relationship with the kings of, of, of the southern kingdom, and they would give them lambs, and they would give them rams, and, and they had that, that relationship because they were under the authority of Judah. But, when Ahab died, Moab rebelled and quit sending the lamb, and quit sending the rams, and quit sending the sheep, and Moab kind of went on its own. Now, if you go back to Isaiah 16, and verse 1, now that Moab is under the judgment of God, now that Moab is under the destruction of God, now that Moab is, is suffering the punishment of God, Isaiah comes along, and he says, you know what you ought to do? You ought to go back to what you used to do, and send ye the lamb to the ruler from the land of Selah. He says, you ought to send something um, unto the daughters of Zion. He said, you used to send lambs, and you used to send rams, and you used to have a relationship with God's people. And you got to understand this. Isaiah is giving the Moabites, under the judgment of God, the same advice that we should be giving people today, under the judgment of God. When people find themselves with their lives falling apart, their marriages falling apart, their children going by the wayside, they're, they're, they're losing everything, and it's a result of sin, of drunkenness, of alcohol, of drugs. When the judgment of God comes upon people, the advice that we should give them is the same advice that Isaiah gave the Moabites, and is this, hey, re-establish a relationship with God. And re-establish a relationship with God's people. See, he's asking, he's saying, set the lamb. He said, you used to have a relationship with God's people. He said, you used to have a relationship with the God of, 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 of the Southern Kingdom. And he said, if I had any advice to give you, he said, you know what I'd do if I were you? I'd send a lamb. Where? Where should we send a lamb? I'd send it to Selah. I'd send it to Judah. I said, he's he's telling them, the best thing you can do right now is get close to God and his people. And you know someone that's going through the judgment of God, or you may be someone who's going through the judgment of God, and the best advice I can give you is get close to God's people when you're going through the judgment of God. Look at verse 2, Isaiah 16 and verse 2. For it shall be that, as a wandering bird cast out of the nest, so the daughters of Boab shall be at the fords of Arnon. Now, Isaiah is giving us a, 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 a very descriptive illustration of the Moabites. He says they are as a wandering bird cast out of the nest. He says they're like a bird that got thrown out of its nest and is just wandering about. Now, here's what you got to understand. The only reason that a bird gets thrown out of a nest is because it's a baby bird and it can't fly. Right? Because if a bird gets thrown out of a nest and it knows how to fly, it's not going to hit the ground if it's a bird worth its salt. Right? I mean, it's going to take off and fly. But the illustration here is of a baby bird that can't fly. And it gets thrown out of its nest. 
And it's wandering, confused, and disoriented. And here's what you got to understand about a bird that cannot fly. Because the only way that a bird can defend itself is through flight. When the predator comes to try to take that bird, it takes off in flight. So if you're a bird on the ground, wandering about, confused, and you cannot fly, it's just a matter of time before somebody eats you up. And that's the illustration that, that, that Isaiah is giving to the Moabites. He said, you are like a wandering bird cast out of your nest. You are confused. You are disoriented. You do not have the ability to protect yourself. You are, very, uh, you, you, you're, you are easy for a predator to attack. He says, what I, what I would do if I were you, I'd get connected with God's people. And see, that's what people don't understand today. Their lives get ruined, their lives get messed up, the judgment of God comes upon them, and they don't think to themselves, I better go reestablish, like we were talking about this morning, those 65 to 75% of kids that leave the church and go off into the world, those prodigal sons that find themselves, you know, uh, eating, you know, and partying and, and losing uh, their testimony, oftentimes they don't realize the best thing I can do is to go back and reestablish that relationship that I used to have with God's people. Here's the practical application for us. There are people that because of their sin are living their lives as a wandering bird cast out of the nest. There are people today who are living their lives like a wandering bird, like a confused bird, not knowing what to do or how to help themselves. And what those people need is to reestablish a relationship with God. And the way you do that is to reestablish a relationship with God's people. And by the way, that's why we reach out to our community. That's why we go out knocking on doors, inviting people to church. That's why we go out into these areas. Why why do you do that? Because there are people out there that are lost and confused and they need help. Keep your finger there in Isaiah. Go to Matthew 9. If I were you, I'd put my place there in Matthew 9 because we're going to be going back and forth from the book of Matthew. Isaiah described these lost people as wandering birds cast out of their nest. The Lord Jesus Christ described them almost in a similar way but using a different animal. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. And put your bulletin in Matthew or a ribbon or a bookmark or something because you're going to need to stay there. Uh, we're going to come back to Matthew later on. Matthew chapter 9, look at verse 36. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them. Notice how Jesus describes these people. He says, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. See, Isaiah said, hey, you're like a wandering bird cast out of the nest. Jesus said, you're fainting, you're scattered abroad, you are like a sheep with no shepherd. Go back to Isaiah 16, look at verse 3. Not only do we find Isaiah's counsel to the Moabites who are under the judgment of God. Could you, Brother Missy, could you just turn, turn the volume down just a tiny bit, not too much. Not only do we find Isaiah giving counsel to the Moabites who are under the judgment of God, but in Isaiah 16 and verse 3, we find the prophet giving counsel to God's people while others are under the judgment of God. Notice what he says to them in verse 3. He says, take counsel, execute judgment. Now notice, Isaiah is talking to God's people, to the southern kingdom, to the, 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 the tribe of Judah. He says, take counsel, execute judgment. Make thy shadow as the night in the midst of the noonday. Notice what he says. Hide the outcast. He says, Beray not him that wandereth. Now he just told us the Moabites are like, uh, you know, wandering birds cast out of the nest. 
But he now tells the children of Israel, he says, he says, make thy shadow as the night in the midst of the noonday. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, he's saying, I know, I know it's bright right now, I know it's daytime, but your shadow, make, make it so that so so dark and so big that, that it's almost like the nighttime. He says, hide the outcast. He says, Beray not he that wandereth. The, the word beray means to, to make known or to betray. He says, Don't betray the Moabites. He says, When the Moabites are asking you, because here's what I did say. He said, I told the Moabites to reach out to you. I told them to send a lamb to Zion, and I told them to send a lamb to Selah. And when they come asking for help of you Israelites, I want you to hide them. Hide the outcast. Bere not him that wandereth. Now, you, you, you ask yourself a question. Why would Isaiah have to tell God's people to help people that are wandering? Why would he have to tell them to help people that need help? And you got to understand this about, about the children of Israel. This would be hard for Israel to do. Because there was a time in Israel's history when they were a wandering bird cast out of their nets. And unfortunately, nobody helped them. Let me give you a little bit of history of the children of Israel. Go to Numbers, chapter number 20. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers, chapter number 20. And look at verse number 14. There was a time when the children of Israel found themselves wandering. Helpless, confused, disoriented. Remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt? They had been in slavery for over 400 years and they didn't really... I mean, they were being led by Moses and God, obviously, but as far as the people was concerned, they, they didn't really know how to be a nation. And they needed help. In Numbers chapter 20 and verse 14... As the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness, I want you to notice what happens. Verse 14, the Bible says, And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus saith thy brother Israel, Thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us. How our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, He heard our voice and sent an angel, and hath brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost part of thy border. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed the border. So do you understand what's going on, Moses gets to Edom, they've got to pass through Edom to get to where God told them to go, and he sends a message, he says, hey, can we pass through Edom, he says, we're not going to go anywhere, we're not going to do anything, we're going to stay on the highway, we're not going to go into the field, we're not going to mess with anybody, just please uh, let us pass through your borders, nor the response they got, they were helpless. They didn't have an army. They didn't have anything. They've been slaves for 400 years. And in verse 18, the Bible says, And Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. So here you have Edom, an established nation, an established kingdom. And they said, uh, I know you're wandering like a bird, uh, cast out of its nest. I know you don't know what to do, but we're not going to help you. You're not going to pass through our highway. Look at verse 19. And the children of Israel said unto him, We will go by the highway. And if I and my cattle drink of thy, of thy water, then I will pay for it. I will, only, uh, I will only, without doing anything else, go through on my feet. 
He said, look, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to travel. If, if we drink any water, if we eat anything, we're going to pay for it. We don't want any trouble. And he said, verse 20, thou shalt not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border. Wherefore Israel turned away from him. And the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came unto Mount Hor. So they get to Edom. They say, Edom, can we get some help? We're like a wandering bird cast out of our nest. And Edom says, no help. They move on. Go to Numbers 21. Look at verse 21. Numbers 21. You're there in Numbers chapter 20. Just flip one page over to Numbers 21. They come to Ammon. Remember Ammon from last week? Ammon was the son of Mo, of the brother of Moab. Both came from that uh, sin between Lot and his daughters. Numbers 21, 21 says, And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through thy land. We will not turn into the fields or into the vineyards. We will not drink of the waters of the well, but we will go along by the king's highway until we have passed thy borders. And Sihon, so they basically said the same thing. Can we pass through here? We don't want any trouble. We'll pay for whatever we use. We're just going to go through. Verse 23, And Sihon would not suffer Israel to pass through his borders. But Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel into the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. And Israel smote him with the edge. So they actually came out and fought against him. And God helped them. Israel smote him with the edge of the sword and possessed his land from Arnon to Jabbok, even unto the children of Ammon. For the border of the children of Ammon was strong. And by the way, it was a miracle that the children of Israel were able to win that battle. But they had to win that battle. Because he didn't say, not only did he not say, we're not going to help you. He said, we're actually going to come out against you and fight against you. Go to uh, Numbers 21, look at verse 33. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan. So here's another nation. And Og, the king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to the battle at Edri. And the Lord said unto Moses, Fear him not, for I have delivered him into thy hand. So, they go to Edom. Edom says, no, we're not going to help you. They go to the Ammonites. The Ammonites say, no, not only are we not going to help you, we're going to come out against you. They go to Bashan. He comes out against them. Now, go to Numbers 22 and look at verse 1. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab. Do you see that? On this side, Jordan by Jericho. So now, so look, they, they, they've got to th- three different nations and all of them have said, we're not going to help you, we're against you, I don't care if you just came out of slavery, we're not for you. And then they come to Moab. And the Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 22, And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side, Jordan by Jericho. And Balak the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, and the, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. He sent messengers therefore unto Balaam the son of Beor, to Pathor, which is by the river of the land of the children of, of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth and they abide over against me. Come now therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail. So, when they get to Moab, they don't even get to ask. Before they send the messenger to say, hey, can we pass through your land? If we drink your water, we'll pay for it. If we, if we waste anything, we'll, we'll pay for it. We don't want any trouble. We're going to stay on the highway. Before they can even send that messenger, Moab hires Balaam to curse them and refuse to help. And if you continue reading, and we won't, you'll notice that the result of this is that a great plague came upon the children of Israel because of their involvement with the Moabites. 
So then you fast forward to Isaiah. And now the tables have turned. Now you have the Moabites wandering like a bird cast out of its nest. And in our human minds, we would think, it's now your time to get revenge on the Moabites. When the Moabites come to you, once the Babylonians have taken over the land, when the Moabites come to you, hey, before they even ask the question, can we get some shelter? Can we get some water? Can we get some help? Can, can, can we pass through the land? Can you hide us? Because they're trying to kill us. Before they even ask the question, Judah, go ahead and tell them, no, we're not going to help you. You refuse to help us. You wouldn't, you wouldn't help us when we were in You wouldn't help us when we were in the You wouldn't help us when we were running for our life. When we were running from Egypt. You wouldn't help us. So no, we're not going to help you. But you've got to understand something, okay? The God of the Bible is a God of compassion. And Isaiah comes along and he says, Hey, Israel, I want you to hide the Moabites. I want you to help the Moabites. I want you to feed them. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Today, the liberal churches like to paint the God of the Bible and the, the God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament as two different gods. And they'll say, the God of the Old Testament, he was an angry God and he was mad all the time and he was cranky. And the God of the New Testament, you know, he's loving and compassionate. He doesn't care about anything you do. He accepts you. And both views are wrong. The God of the Old Testament was holy, but compassionate. And the God of the New Testament is the same God, just as holy and just as compassionate. And Jesus comes along and begins to say things that, that our, our, our human mind cannot comprehend. Matthew chapter 5, in verse 43, the great passage known as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 43 says, Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Verse 44. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. See, the greatest impact that you and I can make on this nation, the greatest impact that you and I can make in our communities, the greatest impact that you can make in your family, or with your neighbors, or with whoever it is that you're trying to witness to, is that you need to understand this. There are people that have done you wrong. There are people that have talked bad about you. There are people that have lied about you. There are people that did not help you, and in fact, wanted you to fail when you were needing the help. But when the tables are turned, it's our duty to love your enemy. It's your duty to bless them that curse you. It's your duty to do good to them that hate you. To pray for them which despitefully use you. The God of the Old Testament, it sounds like the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament because Isaiah is telling the children of Judah, he says, I know when you needed help, they refused. And I know when you were wandering and you were cast out of your nest and you were, you were, you, you, you couldn't protect yourself and you were like a bird wandering around and, and any predator could have came up and snatched you. I know that when you needed help, they refused to help. But he says, now that the tables are turned, he said, you love them and help them. That's the counsel of the prophet. And that's the counsel of Jesus Christ to all of us. There have been people that have wronged you. Forgive them. Love them. Pray for your enemies. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Go back to Isaiah. Now notice, Isaiah counsels the Moabites. He says, you know what I would do if I were you? You know how you used to send those lambs and those rams over to Judah? If I were you, I'd probably start sending those lambs back there again. Here's what he's basically saying. You know what I would do if I were you? Now that you've lost your marriage, now that your kids have gone on to drugs and alcohol, now that your life's falling apart, and now that you're seeing the judgment of God, now that you're reaping what you've sowed, you know what I would do if I were you? Remember I used to go to church? I'd get back there, 
That's what Isaiah is basically saying. You know those people that you used to go to church with? Those God's people? I reestablish a relationship with them. And then Isaiah turns over to Judah and he says, You know what I would do if I were you? I know they hurt you, and I know they lied about you, and I know they didn't help you. But when they come to your door and they're asking for help, I would take them in. And I would love them, and I would pray for them, and I would help them. But then Isaiah turns again to the Moabites. And notice what he says to them. Isaiah 16, look at verse 4. Now, you've got to understand this. He's talking to Moab. He changed his direction or his attention from Judah back to Moab. And he says, let mine outcast dwell with thee, Moab. And you say, well, hold on a second, Judah, weren't you just telling, weren't you, Isaiah, weren't you just telling Judah to help Moab? Now you're telling Moab to, to hide your outcast. And here's what Isaiah is saying. He says, let mine outcast dwell with thee, Moab. Be thou a covert to them from the face of the spoiler, for the extortioner is at hand. The spoiler sees it. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. Look at verse 5. And in mercy shall the throne be established, and he shall sit upon it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment and hasting righteousness. Now, that verse 5 there is probably a reference to the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he says there's one that will sit upon it in truth in the tabernacle of David. But what Isaiah is saying to Moab, here's what he's saying. He's saying, right now you need help. But he said, you're not going to need help all the time. There's going to come a time when we're going to be the outcasts. You understand what Isaiah is saying? Isaiah is saying this. Moab, right now you need God's people. But there's coming a time right before that one who will sit upon, sit in truth in the tabernacle of David, right before that Messiah comes and, and, and establishes that kingdom, there's going to come a time when God's people are going to go through great tribulation. And they're going to be outcasts. And they're going to need help. And he says, Moab, make sure you help them. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. You say, what, what is he teaching? Go back to Matthew chapter 7. Here's what Isaiah said in Moabites. He tells the Moabites, reestablish your relationship with Judah. He tells Judah, take them in. Don't hold it against them. Love your enemies. Pray for them that hurt you. Pray for them that, that are against you. Uh, bring them in. Help. They need water. They need shelter. Do what you can to help them. And then he turns around to, Ju- to Moab and he says, Moab, when you're reestablished, Moab, when you're back on top, Moab, when you have the ability and God's people come to you for help, he says, I want you to pay it forward. And Jesus taught the same principle, Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even to them. So to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule: do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The God of the Old Testament, He is an angry God. Sounds like the same God of the New Testament, Jesus Christ. And He says, you know what? Treat people the way you want to be treated. And He says, help people when they need help, because someday you may need help. And someday you may be under the judgment of God. And someday you may find yourself as an outcast and needing someone to hide you. And he says to Moab, pay it forward. Back to Isaiah 16. Remember I told you the chapter is divided into two parts. The first part we see the prophet's counsel. He gives counsel to Moab. He gives counsel to Judah. He gives counsel to Moab again. In the second part of the chapter, we see the prophet's compassion. So verses 1 through 5, we saw the prophet's counsel. For the rest of the chapter, we see the prophet's compassion. For those of you that are taking notes. Notice the result of the sin in Moab, verse 6. 
He says, we have heard of the pride of Moab. Have you noticed? We're in 16 chapters of the book of Isaiah. And how, have you noticed how every chapter without fail, what is the one thing that keeps coming up over and over and over and over again? Pride. The sin of pride. He says, we have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud and of his haughtiness and his pride and his wrath, but his life shall not be so. Therefore, now he says, therefore, what he's saying is for this reason, for what reason? Because of Moab's pride, because he is proud, because of his haughtiness, because of that sin of pride. He says, therefore, shall Moab howl for Moab. Everyone shall howl for the foundations of Kerhath Reset. Shall ye mourn? Surely they are stricken. Verse 8. For the field of Heshbon language. Now, it seems from the text that the Moabites, we know that they had pride issues, but it seems from the text that they were proud in regards to their agriculture. Because one thing that God keeps bringing up over and over again is how He's going to destroy their agriculture. Look at verse 6. He said, For the field of Heshbon language. And the vine of Sibba. The lords of the heathen have, notice this, broken down the principal plant. Therefore they are come even unto Jazer. They wandered through the wilderness. Notice this. Her branches are stretched out. They are gone over the sea. Therefore I will bewail with the weeping of Jazer, the vine of Sibma. I will water thee with my tears, O Heshbon, and Elielith for the shouting, for thy, notice this, summer fruits, and for thy harvest is fallen. So it seems like their pride was attached to the fact that their land was able to produce a lot. And you got to understand this about pride. Whatever it is that you put, that you get proud about, God is able to cast that down. And to bring it down. And He destroys, and God pinpoints their branches, and their vines, and their harvest, and their fruits. So I want you to notice the response of Isaiah. Because remember, Moab is wandering, right? They're being punished because of their sin. They're like a wandering bird. Jesus put it this way. They're the sheep scattered. They're scattered about as sheep having no shepherd. And I want you to notice the response of Isaiah. Look at verse 9. And you would think you would think this is odd that Isaiah would respond this way. But he says, therefore, if you if you'd like to underline things in your Bible, I would underline these words. Therefore I will be wail with the weeping. Isaiah is saying, I'm going to weep for Moab. But he says, I'm going to do more than just shed a few tears. He said, I'm going to bewail. The word wail means to like cry loudly. He said, I will bewail with the weeping of Jazer, the vine of Sibma. Notice what he says. I will water thee with my tears. And he says, I'm going to cry so much for what's happening there in Moab. He says, I'm going to be able to water you with my tears, O Heshbon, and Elielah, for the shouting, for thy summer fruits, and of thy harvest has fallen, and gladness is taken away, and joy out of the plentiful field, and in the vineyards there shall be no singing, neither shall there be any shouting, the treaders shall tread out no wine in their presses, and I've made their vintage shouting to cease. Look at verse 11. Wherefore, notice what he says, wherefore my vows shall sound like an heart. He said, he said, I'm, I'm going to cry so loud. It's going to sound like a harp that's crying. For Moab. And my inward parts. For Kerharim. They shall come to pass. When it is seen that Moab is weary on the high place. That he shall come to his sanctuary to pray. But he shall not prevail. And you got to understand what's going on here. Isaiah says, I, I, 
I'm going to cry. He says, I'm going to weep. He says, I'm going to water you with my tears. And, and you ask this question, you say, Isaiah, why are you so tore up about this? The Moabites, I mean, they were your enemies. But Isaiah tells us, here's why he's going to cry. Here's why he's so upset. Here's why his compassion has come upon these people. Because these people are lost. Not just physically, but spiritually. Notice verse 12. And it shall come to pass, when it is seen that Moab is weary on the high place. Now remember, going to a high place, was the, the understanding is that you're going to worship an idol. He says, Moab is weary on the high place. He says, they're tired, but they're going to go to their high place. They're going to go to their religious place. They're going to go to to their idols. That he shall come to his sanctuary. The the, the word sanctuary is talking about a religious type building. uh, Where where they would go there to worship. And he says, he will come to his sanctuary to pray. Now you and I, you know, we might look at it and say, well it's a good thing that they're going to church. And it's a good thing that they're going to pray. But it's not a good thing when you're going to pray to an idol. Because he says... He shall come to his sanctuary to pray, but he shall not prevail. Here's what he's saying. Because remember, he started the chapter by saying, You know what I would do if I were you? I'd get back to that God of Judah. I'd send that lamb back to Israel. But Isaiah knows that they're not going to go back. And they're going to hold on to their idols, and they're going to hold on to their false religion, and they're going to pray, and they're going to fast. But it will not prevail. Because you've got to understand this. You can be religious, but being religious doesn't help you if you're not praying to the God of the Bible. And Isaiah says, my heart is broken. Yes, why, why is your heart broken? And he says, my heart is broken because these people are religious, but they are lost. And we have this idea that everybody who's a Christian, everybody who says they're a Christian, everybody who goes to church, they must be saved. You've never gone out soul winning. You've got to go soul winning with us sometime. And you'd be surprised how many religious people that are faithful to church and faithful to a Bible and faithful to services where they think they are worshiping a God have no clue what the Bible says about salvation and are lost and are on their way to hell. And Isaiah says, my heart breaks for them. He says, I weep for them. He says, they're running to their idols and they're praying and he's not going to help them. They're not going to prevail. Go back to Matthew chapter 9. Remember I told you, keep your place in Matthew. Let me ask you this question. When's the last time, or maybe I should ask it this way, have you ever been broken for the lost? Has your heart ever broken for people, for good religious people, that are going to die and go to hell? Because they're praying, but they will not prevail. Has your heart ever been broken? Have you ever had tears come out of your eyes? Have you ever wept? For the lost. Matthew 9.36. We read this verse, but notice what Jesus said. Remember, we, we, we saw that he said, They fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. But notice, Jesus did not just simply see that they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. When Jesus understood that they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd, he was also, notice, moved with compassion. Jesus was physically moved when he saw the people. And you understand this. This is seen throughout the Bible. Let me just give you, give you an, another example. Go to Acts 17. Acts 17. Look at verse 15. Acts 17 and verse 15. You're there in Matthew. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 17, verse 15. Other than, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the, the next person that probably did the most to disperse the gospel is probably, in my opinion, the Apostle Paul. 
And I believe that that was not by accident or coincidence. Because we'll see Paul in, in Acts 17, in verse 15, the Bible says, And they that conducted Paul brought him to Athens. Paul comes, remember Paul's a missionary and he's traveling. He goes to the city of Athens, which is a Greek city. And receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, look at verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, because he gets to Athens, and he sends a, a message to Titus, and, uh, to Timotheus and to Silas, and he says, I want you to come to Athens, meet me here, and we're going to uh, set up camp. So he's waiting for them. He's just waiting for them to come. Verse 16. And while Paul waited for them at Athens, notice what it says about Paul. His spirit was stirred. In, them, in him. Why? When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. You know what Isaiah, Jesus, and Paul all had in common? Great characters in scripture. Is that when they saw people in false religions, they were moved with compassion on them. They were physically moved. Their spirits were stirred. They, they began to weep. And, and you got to understand, go, go to Psalm. This is the last passage we'll look at tonight. Psalm 126. Psalm, if you open up your Bible, just right in the center, you're more than likely to find the book of Psalm. Psalm 126 and verse uh, 5. And, and I believe in soul winning. And our church does a lot of soul winning. And we do a lot of door knocking. We do a lot of evangelism. And we'll teach you how to preach the gospel. And we'll help you. You say, I don't want to preach. You, you can be a solid partner. We believe in it. We do it. We go every week of our life. But you got to understand something. I believe that the reason that churches are in the state that they are in America today. And the reason that our nation is in the state that it is, is because we have Christians that just don't really have any compassion. People that are lost. They're religious. They're going to church. Psalm 126, look at verse 5. Notice what the Bible says. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth, don't miss these words, and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, Bringing his sheaves with him. You know, I think what we're missing in a lot of our evangelism today is the weeping. And the tears. And a broken heart. And a spirit that's stirred. When we see people who are good, religious people on their way to hell because of false religion. When's the last time, or have you ever been broken for the lost? Because I, I believe that we got to the place where we actually, where our hearts were broken, where we were moved with compassion, where our spirits were stirred, where we were physically moved to the point of weeping, where we would look at people in trouble and they need help, and we see them in their false religion, and they're praying, and they're fasting, and they're doing all their traditions, but it's to no prevail, because it's not to the God of the Bible, because it's not salvation. Yeah, they might say they're Christians, but their trust is in their works of what they do, or what they don't do, what they continue to do, their baptism, their repenting of their sins, whatever it is that they're trusting on Jesus Christ, when's the last time that you were moved with compassion on them where you would say, I am broken for these people that are going to die and go to hell? Have you ever? Because here's what, I, here's what I know. If we were stirred in our spirits, we wouldn't have excuses why I can't go soul winning this week. You wouldn't have excuses for why you can't preach the gospel to your neighbor or your co-worker or the guy on the bus that you've never met. Well, you wouldn't have an excuse to why you couldn't do it if your heart was But our problem is this. We understand people need the gospel. But in our heart, we don't really care. And Isaiah looked at these people and he said, I wish you would reestablish a relationship with the God of Judah. 
But I see you going up to these high places, and I see you worshiping these idols, and I see you praying to no prevail. And Isaiah said, all I can do is weep. And Jesus said, all I can do is move with compassion. And Paul said, my spirit is stirred within me. The question I have for you is, have your heart, has it ever been broken for the lost? Have you ever wept for the unbelievers? Because they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he that goeth forth and weepeth vain precious seed shall doubtless come again. Say, Pastor, why don't we come again a lot of times with rejoicing? Why don't we come again with bearing precious seed? Why don't we come again reaping in joy? I think what we're missing is the tears, weeping, and the compassion. See, it's not enough to give people counsel if you don't have compassion. Isaiah says, I'm going to counsel you, but he said, I'm also going to weep over you. My heart is broken for the loss. What to God that we would have a church? What to God that I would be the type of person that my heart would break? The unbelieving, good, citizen, religious people praying to a God that can't help inspire him. Heavenly Father. Lord, thank you for the book of Isaiah. Lord, thank you for the example of Isaiah. He was a man who physically shed tears over people lost in a false religion. And Father, I pray that you would please help us to develop the compassion that we need. Father, I pray that you would help us to weep for the lost. Father, I pray that you'd help us to realize that every single person we run into, every single person we know, every single person we see on the street has a soul that will spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And it's all based on do they believe on Jesus Christ. And it is our responsibility to preach the gospel to them. Father, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd help us to have a compassion. In precious name I pray.